Good morning and welcome back to Northminster this week. Wherever you're watching or listening from, whoever you are, this is a place where we celebrate everyone loving and accepting you just as you are. We are grateful that you are here with us as we learn to love God, love one another, and love ourselves well. Today is the third Sunday of Easter, which means it's the third Sunday of recognizing, celebrating, and practicing resurrection in this unique and bizarre season. Today we'll be talking about sleep as a form of prayer. We'll spend time with the story of the Emmaus Road and find ourselves anew in that ancient and familiar story. I don't think we've mentioned this before, but we also want to say thank you to D.H. Clark, who continues to look through our musical archives and pull music to help remind us of who we are and what we've done together. So we invite you now to take a deep breath. Let yourself settle and open up to this present moment and join us in celebrating resurrection through story, song, and prayer this morning. Welcome to Northminster. Yale professor of psychology, Dr. Lori Santos, has become well known for her course, Psychology and the Good Life, which explores that perennial question, what actually makes us happy? I've been fascinated by the similarities between her teaching and the teachings of our tradition. So when she hosted an online Q&A about well-being in the midst of COVID-19, I paid attention. Some of the questions she addressed resonated deeply with me and echoed concerns that we've been hearing from some of you. So for the next few weeks, we'd like to use this part of the service to move through some of these questions, approaching them through a brief meditation and a prayer informed by Dr. Santos's research, as well as our own faith. So this week, we want to spend some time with the first question, something we've heard from some of you, which is simple and at the same time, very important. And the question is, why can't I seem to sleep like I used to? If this is something that you're struggling with right now, you are not alone and there is no shame. Have compassion for yourself. Sleep is so essential for our mental health as well as our immune system, both of which are very important right now. So working through this question deserves some priority. There are two things we want to use to address this question this week. The first is the power of ritual, and the second is our patterns of thinking. First, ritual, something churches have known for a long time has a significant effect on us if used in the right way. Things feel out of control and that induces anxiety, but finding simple ways to establish a sense of control can be powerful and can shift our thinking. Small things like mindfully using lotion before bed can help create a sense of ritual. And over time, your body starts to associate that experience, the smell of the lotion or whatever your ritual is right before going to bed with the message, okay, it's time to start shutting down. Another good ritual is choosing a time to put your phone away. Don't let any more information in after say 8 p.m. Find a place to plug it in, 
put it away, cut off your access to anxiety-inducing information for a while, and if you can't shake that body urge to pick it back up again, then find another habit to replace it with. When you want to pick up your phone, then pick up a book, or maybe make a cup of tea, or write in a journal. Start giving your mind some space to calm itself and prepare to let go. And that gets us to our second element, patterns of thinking. The ego is the part of, the part of you evolved to help solve problems and establish a sense of self. It's the thinker, as some teachers call it. And while it is an excellent servant, it is a terrible master. It's the part of you that fixates on things like, you need to check the news right now, or you need to solve this problem, so don't stop thinking about it. But the truth is, it's okay not to check. And it's okay to let go of thinking. Healthy sleep is in itself a practice of letting go, realizing that we are not as important as we think we are, and the world can go on without us. It's a reminder that our value doesn't lie in our ability to work, problem solve, or fixate, but that we can let go, and there is something bigger to catch us. Sleep is a form of surrender to God. So for this week's prayer, we are going to practice the discipline of naming thoughts, extending grace, letting go, and resting in God. Something important all the time, but especially when we lay down at night. So I'll walk us through this prayer, and we're going to end with a reading from a psalm. To start this, I'd like to invite you to get comfortable wherever you're sitting and to take three deep breaths into your belly. this last exhale, just allow your eyes to close. Now, starting at the top of your head, just slowly scan down, becoming curious about how your body is feeling. Don't think about the feelings, just feel them. Where is there tension in your body? Where is there ease in your body? If you get distracted, that's okay. Just let go of the distraction and come back to the body, continuing to scan down and remembering to be curious. And when you're finished, just focus on your breath. Physically, where do you feel that rise and fall in your body? 
Focus on how the breath feels, the inhale and the exhale. Don't try to change anything, just watch and notice with curiosity. And as you're watching your breath, just like when you're trying to fall asleep, your mind is going to keep moving. It's gonna keep coming up with thoughts and fixations. The temptation is to engage them, to grab onto them, or to try to fight them and bat them away. But the trick is to meet them with grace. Acknowledge them. Forgive them. Allow them. They simply are. When a thought starts to distract you, simply say to yourself, I see you. Thank you, and I let you go. Imagine touching them lightly, like with a feather, and then just letting it fade away. Let's practice this for about three minutes. Just watching your breath, noting distractions, and letting them go with grace. Remember, if you get distracted, that's okay. Note it, touch it gently, let it go.
Now take a moment to feel your body pressing down on the seat beneath you. Notice your hands and feet. And whenever you're ready, go ahead and open your eyes. I encourage you to keep practicing this. It's a skill or a muscle that needs to be strengthened in order to be used well. The more we do it, the easier it will be to let go with grace, with trust, and to allow ourselves to rest in God's spirit of love and truth. There are plenty of resources online if you want to practice this. There are apps that can help you like Headspace or Calm. Now, if you have any questions or anxieties that you would like us to speak to besides sleep, we have a list of things that we'd like to move through, but we would love to hear from you. Let us know directly what you are struggling with, what you're feeling anxious about, and we'll spend time with that. So please don't hesitate to leave a comment, to type it in the chat, to send us an email, or give us a phone call this week so we can learn to find God and rest in this season. Receive my love, O beloved, you who hear my voice and my supplication. You incline your ear to me, and I call upon you with trust both day and night. When the snares of fear encompass me, when pangs of loneliness envelop me, I suffer distress and anguish. And then I call upon you, my rock. You come to my aid. Your strength upholds me. Gracious are you, just and true. Heart of all hearts, you are merciful and forgiving. You preserve the simple. When I am humbled, you lift me up. Return, O my soul to your rest. For you, O loving friend, bestow grace upon grace, a balm for my soul. A reading from Luke chapter 24. Now on the third day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. Imagine with me, friends, that you are Cleopas, walking down the road to Emmaus. It is Easter Sunday, though no one is calling it that yet. So imagine that the sun has risen on this Sunday morning, and now, as the early evening clings to the light of this day, you and your companion have set out for home. On that fateful Friday night, you had finally managed to drift off to sleep, still in shock. Saturday, you thought you wouldn't speak to anyone. You desperately needed the solitude to begin to process what you had witnessed on Calvary. But when evening came, you found yourself gathering with friends. There you had grieved together, had told stories of Jesus, had mourned the loss of him, the loss of everything that gave meaning and purpose to your days. And the grieving together was good. And having made that space in your hearts, you turned to your companion and said, you know, I think we better stick to the plan and go on home tomorrow. There are folks expecting us and we have obligations to fulfill. In the end, life goes on. 
And even the next morning, this morning, when so much had changed so quickly, the women came bursting in, claiming things you could not have dreamed up, spouting off this unimaginable report. You sat again in shock as a few of the others rushed off to see for themselves. When they returned, each sounding off a different theory, you listened, you absorbed. And then you reached the point where you could absorb no more. And you decided to stick to the plan because God knows in tough times we cling to what is predictable. And so there you were in the fading light of early evening on the road back toward home, toward Emmaus, leaving Jerusalem with all its mystery behind you. Or at least that was your intent. But you couldn't stop talking about it, couldn't stop turning it over again and again in your mind, trying to make sense of the jumble of information, of emotions, of fear and hope and bewilderment. Each time the conversation stalled, you would walk a few paces in silence before one of you broke back in with, now did I hear Mary correctly? Did she say? Or, now hang on, they said the stone was already gone when they got there. It must have been an hour or so that passed like this before you noticed him. A stranger who seemed to be intentionally lagging behind you. He had caught up to you, so he was obviously walking faster, and you tried to make room for him to pass, but he seemed to have an interest in your conversation. And so finally, you gestured for him to join you. He was quiet, soft-spoken, but intentional in his speech. I couldn't help but notice how animatedly you were speaking with one another. What is it you were discussing? Has something happened in Jerusalem? You looked at one another. Brother, how is it you don't know? Are you the only one in the city who hasn't been following all the things that have happened there in the last few days? What things, he asked, so innocently. And so you told him. And rather than finding him to be an unobservant tourist, it seemed he was instead somehow schooling you. And you could have been irritated, but instead you were grateful because it was all you really wanted in that moment to talk with someone, to talk with anyone about Jesus. And in the conversation, the time walking seemed to fly by. When another hour had passed and you were drawing near to your destination, you noticed he didn't seem to be slowing down. 
and you were tired. It had been a long day, a long week, the longest week. You almost let him keep walking. But if there was one thing you had learned from watching Jesus all those years, it was the mutual grace of a warm welcome. You couldn't let this man go on walking past dark, not when you had the means to provide him a place to stay. Come with us, you urged him. And though it took some back and forth, he accepted. He came in. The meal began. He took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to you. And in that breaking, you saw something true. You saw Jesus. And the moment your eyes were open, it was as if he had never been there at all. In spite of the darkness, in spite of the hour, you dropped everything and you ran seven miles back down the road from Emmaus to Jerusalem back to your community, back to the ones who would understand how everything hinged on this. And you could have missed it, but you invited him in and he was made known to you in the breaking of bread. There was a story the original audience of Luke's gospel would have been familiar with. The way we are familiar with the tale of Romeo and Juliet, whether we had to read it in ninth grade English or not. It was a story that had been around for centuries, Homer's The Odyssey. Toward the end of the saga, Odysseus has returned home to Ithaca from his adventures and he needs to assess whether in his long absence, his friends and family have remained loyal to him. Many believe him to be dead and his wife is being hounded by one suitor after another. So Odysseus returns in disguise to feel out that situation. When he first arrives on shore, he finds shelter with a childhood friend. Though the friend, of course, doesn't recognize him. But this man, this friend, offers a welcome to a stranger, a place to find a meal and a bed. This man, who wins Odysseus's trust through an act of welcome, 
who, as the story progresses, demonstrates his fidelity to his old friend so that in a climactic moment, Odysseus finally chooses to reveal his true identity, to open his friend's eyes. This man's name is Eumaeus. Archaeologists have no record of a town in the place Luke describes with a name like Emmaus. No record of a physical place. What we have instead is Homer's story. A story about a hidden identity being revealed of truth being uncovered by a man who practiced hospitality named Eumaeus. And by invoking this story, Luke tells us that the end of the saga is near, that great truth has already begun to be revealed in our midst. In Homer's story, Odysseus's aim in enlisting his friend Eumaeus and all those he can trust is to obtain backup, to come to his aid as he brutally slaughters all the suitors who, in his absence, have made advances on his wife. Odysseus' return is about claiming rightful ownership, and it leads to bloodshed. It's as if Luke is saying, this is the story you know, but unlike the return of Odysseus, Jesus' return comes on the other side of his own blood being shed. And instead of being about authority or ownership, it's about throwing his arms open wide, about setting a table at which there is a place for everyone. Jesus' return points to an abundance of life and grace and welcome, so much welcome for everyone. So imagine that you are a pastor who decides to preach this story of hospitality and welcome to a congregation stuck in isolation for the foreseeable future. Wouldn't that be silly? As silly as a pastor preaching resurrection to a congregation that is bound to die. So what does hospitality look like right now? Hospitality, welcome. It's about making space, holding space. In this season when so many of us feel cooped up or, or we're feeling cramped, it's about holding space 
for those we love. Maybe that's through a phone call or a FaceTime with the folks who are nearest our hearts. Or it's about embracing the mixed blessing of this extended time with those who live under our roof. Even when we're tired, even when we don't think we can be fully present. Maybe it's about holding space for our community. Some of us have a more natural tendency to look for the needs of those around us. And even when we can't solve them, to hold them in our hearts, to allow them to affect us and to work to change what we can. For others, this is more of a discipline. Either way, it is holy and creative work. And maybe, no, certainly, it is about holding space for ourselves. You know that old adage, you can't pour into others if your own cup is empty. It is so abundantly true right now. How can you be hospitable to yourself this week? How can you make space, hold space for your deepest and truest self in these next few days? Truly, the world has never needed you to care for yourself more than it does right now. So please, for all of our sakes, take care of yourself. Friends, there is a great mystery that took place in Jerusalem that weekend. You have witnessed it. You have gone about your life because in the end, life goes on. And then, in an instant, in the breaking of bread, your eyes have been opened to the grace of our welcoming God. May you never close them again. Amen. Around this table, we tell the story of the first night when Jesus took the bread and gave thanks for it and broke it just as he would be broken. Giving it to his friends, he said, take and eat all of you. In so doing, we remember that though we share in his suffering, we also share in his resurrection life. In so doing, we remember that pain and death never have the last word. And when the meal was over, he took a cup filled with wine and gave thanks for it. Giving it to his friends, he said, take and drink, all of you. 
In so doing, we remember the new covenant sealed in his poured out life. In so doing, we remember that the spirit of God, the spirit of love, is always with us, no matter what. As it happened that night, so it happened again at Emmaus. And again and again, each time the people of God have gathered around a table of welcome. And each time, Christ has been made known in the breaking of bread. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. Our Father, our Mother, Creator and constant friend who is everywhere, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, as you go about your week, may you carry with you the memory of all the tables at which you have been welcomed. May you find the grace to extend that welcome, to hold space, to open, to embrace. You are seen you are loved. Go in peace.